welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Yay! Blessed evening, beautiful people. It's your girl, Wynn Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone. And your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for the light of God in yourselves and the light of God in everyone else. And we're going to do a little further reading about man and the divine mind. Because the more we know about our true origin and being and our relationship with the great I am, the easier it is to represent our own individualized presence of God. Still though, always do your own research and know that whatever we read, see, or listen to, whatever we allow to enter into our hearts and our minds, or even enter our personal energy space, will affect us one way or the other. So remember, if it's love, if it's justice for all, it's God. If it's hate, discord, and division, it's not. So, let us all choose wisely. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life, and y'all be loved. The mind possesses magnifying power, which it exercises habitually, either consciously or unconsciously. This power makes the mind the fertile side of man's nature, out of which spring the issues of life. We magnify the Lord by anticipation, by expecting, by declaring that only the good is true, by steadfastly declaring that every blessing is ours now. Belief in good and evil, past and future comprises all the thought consciousness of opposites that has been built up since man began to eat or enter into the conscious knowledge of good and evil, Genesis 2.17. Man is an idea in divine mind, the epitome of being. The apex of God's creation, created in his image and likeness. Man appears unlike God because he, through disobedience, fell into sin. Through accepting race thoughts, man has adopted wrong ideas about himself and his relation to his source. He has believed that he is unlike God and separate from him, and these concepts have, by the law of thought, become manifest. Ideal man is the perfect man, the Christ, the offspring of divine mind. Manifest man should be as perfect as the ideal, and he will be when the individual identifies himself with the Christ. When he is identified with anything less than perfection he manifests some degree of imperfection. Man makes his world through the activity of ideas in his consciousness ideas of wisdom, power, intelligence. The real man is the embodiment of God, and all the God substance, and the power to make it active is inherent within him. When we are quickened to spiritual understanding and fully realize the true character of God and our own nature as the image, or idea, of God we will begin to live as Jesus lived in order that we may bring forth the likeness. To perceive the true character of God and his attributes and then to grasp our relationship to him is to realize that his attributes are our attributes, his power is our power, his character is our character. Man is not limited in life. He has existed with the Father always. At the very beginning of creation he was born into being through the Son, the Christ, the perfect, ideal man whom God made in his image and likeness. Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am, John 8 58. Man is a duality in seeming only. He is a unit when he knows himself. His ignorance of himself and his relation to God is the cause of the seeming duality. 
When wisdom comes to him and he makes wisdom his own, there is no longer war between the ideal man and God and the becoming man and the Lord God. The fall of man is the result that follows man's failure to recognize his divinity. By his error he falls into a state of consciousness where he is bound in limitation and error. He falls short of his divine possibilities. Before there could be a man there must have been an idea of man. God, the Father, Divine Mind, had an idea of man, and this idea is his son, the perfect man idea, the offspring of God-mind. This son is the Christ, the only begotten of the Father. The Son, being the express image and likeness of the Father, is perfect, even as the Father which is in heaven is perfect. All that we find in Divine Mind we find in its offspring, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, Colossians 1.15. In Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Colossians 2.9. John the Baptist represents the illumined intellectual man who perceives with spiritual vision the unfoldment of this natural, intellectual man into the Christ man. A misunderstanding of man's true nature results in an untrue expression of God-given powers and ends in death. The new man is born of a divine idea through the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. This idea is that man is a spiritual being, he is a holy thing. The man of sin is the carnal mind in each individual, and it always opposes and misrepresents the truth, sometimes it poses as an angel of light and truth. Everyone who overcomes this inner adversary will be saved from all deception that may be practiced by anybody or anything that claims the place of the Lord Jesus Christ. The earth man, who lives through his senses, he gathers his information and makes his judgments from evidence gathered by the senses. He seeks his pleasure through the satisfaction of his sense appetites. He is the false man, the antichrist man. The spiritual man is God's son, the personal man is man's son. The spiritual man is the sum total of the attributes or perfect idea of being, identified and individualized. This man is the only begotten Son of God. John 3.16 Jehovah, or I am that I am, Exodus 3.14, is the name of this divine man. He was manifested as the higher self of Jesus. In the New Testament he is called the Christ. Jesus named him the Father in me. John 14.10, The Revealing Word by Charles Fillmore Isis Unveiled, Chapter 12 And now, before parting with this repulsive subject of vampirism, we will give one more illustration, without other voucher than the statement that it was given to us by apparently trustworthy witnesses. About the beginning of the present century, there occurred in Russia, one of the most frightful cases of vampirism on record. The governor of the province of TCH, was a man of about 60 years, of a malicious, tyrannical, cruel, and jealous disposition. Clothed with despotic authority, he exercised it without stint, as his brutal instincts prompted. He fell in love with a pretty daughter of a subordinate official. Although the girl was betrothed to a young man whom she loved, the tyrant forced her father to consent to his having her marry him, and the poor victim, despite her despair, became his wife. His jealous disposition exhibited itself. He beat her, confined her to her room for weeks together, and prevented her seeing anyone except in his presence. He finally fell sick and died. Finding his end approaching, he made her swear never to marry again, and with fearful oaths, threatened that, in case she did, he would return from his grave and kill her. He was buried in the cemetery across the river, 
and the young widow experienced no further annoyance, until, nature getting the better of her fears, she listened to the importunities of her former lover and they were again betrothed. On the night of the customary betrothal feast, when all had retired, the old mansion was aroused by shrieks proceeding from her room. The doors were burst open, and the unhappy woman was found lying on her bed, in a swoon. At the same time a carriage was heard rumbling out of the courtyard. Her body was found to be black and blue in places, as from the effect of pinches, and from a slight puncture on her neck drops of blood were oozing. Upon recovering, she stated that her deceased husband had suddenly entered her room, appearing exactly as in life, with the exception of a dreadful pallor, that he had upbraided her for her inconstancy, and then beaten and pinched her most cruelly. Her story was disbelieved, but the next morning, the guard stationed at the other end of the bridge which spans the river, reported that, just before midnight, a black coach and six had driven furiously past them, toward the town, without answering their challenge. The new governor, who disbelieved the story of the apparition, took nevertheless the precaution of doubling the guards across the bridge. H.P. Blavatsky The same thing happened, however, night after night, the soldiers declaring that the toll bar at their station near the bridge would rise of itself, and the spectral equipage sweep by them despite their efforts to stop it. At the same time every night, the coach would rumble into the courtyard of the house, the watchers, including the widow's family and the servants, would be thrown into a heavy sleep, and every morning the young victim would be found bruised, bleeding and swooning as before. The town was thrown into consternation. The physicians had no explanations to offer, priests came to pass the night in prayer, but as midnight approached, all would be seized with a terrible lethargy. Finally, the archbishop of the province came, and performed the ceremony of exorcism in person, but the following morning the governor's widow was found worse than ever. She was now brought to death's door. The governor was finally driven to take the severest measures to stop the ever-increasing panic in the town. He stationed fifty Cossacks along the bridge, with orders to stop the spectre carriage at all hazards. Promptly at the usual hour, it was heard and seen approaching from the direction of the cemetery. The officer of the guard, and a priest bearing a crucifix, planted themselves in front of the toll bar, and together shouted, In the name of God, and the Tsar, who goes there? Out of the coach window was thrust a well-remembered head, and a familiar voice responded, The privy councillor of state and governor, C. At the same moment, the officer, the priest, and the soldiers were flung aside as by an electric shock, and the ghostly equipage passed by them, before they could recover breath. The archbishop then resolved, as a last expedient, to resort to the time-honored plan of exhuming the body, and pinning it to the earth with an open stake driven through its heart. This was done with great religious ceremony in the presence of the whole populace. The story is that the body was found gorged with blood, and with red cheeks and lips. At the instant that the first blow was struck upon the stake, a groan issued from the corpse, and a jet of blood spurted high into the air. The archbishop pronounced the usual exorcism, the body was reinterred, and from that time no more was heard of the vampire. How far the facts of this case may have been exaggerated by tradition, we cannot say. But we had it years ago from an eyewitness, and at the present day there are families in Russia whose elder members will recall the dreadful tale. H.P. Blavatsky The I Am Discourses, Volume 14 
the mind of God, the beloved I am presence, the great central sun, and the sacred fire source of all manifestation is ready to flood in and around you its boundless blessings, its miracle powers, its inspiration without limit, and its manifestations that have never yet come into outer existence anywhere. That is why the beloved Saint Germain in the beginning of this I am instruction said to you, if you would acknowledge I am the great creative heart of God, marvelous ideas would come to you and you would bring forth things that have never been brought forth before, because the great creative mind of God is the sacred fire. It contains the limitless ideas of eternity and is ever revealing more of its perfection into outer manifestation. If you will draw this into your outer conditions, always with the awareness that whatever you produce is only perfection, and that perfection reveals the love and the glory and the powers of God to glorify the source that gives them to you my dear ones, you would make progress so rapidly, the blessings that would flood your world would be indescribable, and you would go forward a century ahead of the rest of mankind. When you demand that everything in your being and world be compelled to be constructive, be compelled to be invincible against evil, be compelled to produce perfection that makes all life happy, glorifies the universe, and bears witness to the master presence of your beloved I am, and to the I am presence in the great central sun, when that is your constant thought, that is your constant picture within, that is your constant devotion to life, every action you would perform in the outer life would produce perfection for you, would lift you above the turmoil of the outer world, would give you such supply as you do not even believe exists, and you couldn't lack for a single thing. How could you? Beloved Aloha Mark Turis. We are the seven builders of creation, and as the seven builders we have unlimited supply with which to build, and we build only perfection that brings happiness and freedom and glory to all. We build only what is constructive. But my dear ones, mankind down here, bound as it is in its own discordant creation, is constantly reabsorbing the destructive pictures it has created in the past, which are manifesting now in the present as outer world conditions, and if you do not cut yourselves free from that, you would go on indefinitely in the cycle, drawing that back into yourselves and producing more limitation outside. The hour comes when you must either completely and unconditionally take your stand that you won't have anything in your world but the perfection of God, and when you have decided that with all you are or have, you will remember to give us recognition. You will remember you have a sevenfold flame of the seven mighty Elohim within your forehead. You will remember that the sacred fire contains all perfect thoughts, all perfect pictures, all perfect manifestations, and revealment of the divine plan for you and all you contact. If you want the future revealed, it comes from within the sacred fire, not from within the outer world pictures or conditions that suggest themselves to mankind. So I am taking you deep tonight into the heart of freedom, if you want to come, and there I am. Applause. Thank you so much precious ones. If you want to come, there I am within, for I assure you the flame of the sacred fire which is my special quality and service and responsibility to life, abides within your brain structure. Therefore I can reach you at any moment to give you the blessings that will fill your world with perfection forever. Thank you so much, and won't you be seated please? I am pleading with you tonight because it is you who must take your stand that everything in your being and world shall manifest perfection, to glorify your mighty I am presence and the ascended host who are your protectors. All mankind put together cannot protect you, dear ones. Your protection has to come from the sacred fire of your beloved I am presence, or us. Therefore, whatever guard you have of anything constructive must still be an action of the sacred fire. When you see how much mankind has used the faculties of the mind that are loaned to it by the higher mental body, and how they have used those faculties to create only destruction, I think they need us. 
They need to know something about the sevenfold flame of the seven mighty alohom within the brain structure that can guard the mind against misuse. It can guard the feeling against discord. It can guard the world of the individual against destruction, and it is the sacred fire authority of perfect creation. So blessed ones, if you take your stand and demand that destructive pictures shall not come into your being or world, if you take your stand to prevent that, then we can give you very much greater assistance. You can have very much greater supply. You can have automatic protection and inspiration without limit could flood your world from day to day, till you would be the marvels of the age, and the rest of mankind would wonder how you do it. Now if you want to be mysterious, of course that's one way to do it, but that's not always desirable. Beloved Aloha Mark Tourists.